Hey, welcome back to Politic. I'm your host, Christine, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for your support this past year in listening to our podcast. I know it's been a rough year for all of us to get through, but there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. For today's episode, we'll be covering what affected us closest to home, that is mental health. Over the past 12 months, the pandemic influenced the way we care and see ourselves. Although mental health has been a recurring issue, various populations are struggling to cope during this time. In speaking about it, we brought our guests from Bilingual Mental Health to give us insight on the issue. Welcome back to Politic. Thank you for joining us today. Can you please tell us who you are and what your organization does? Hello, my name is Zhang Deng. I'm a psychology soon-to graduate student and I currently run an Instagram page called Bilingual Mental Health. Uh, This is a side project of mine outside school and work, and it's a platform where we can share and discuss Vietnamese and English concepts, stories on topics related to mental health, emotional struggles, and well-being. The connection between mental health and physical health has increasingly become more acknowledged and recognized in various fields. From your perspective, Why has mental health been neglected as a legitimate part of our overall health? I think that one of the reasons for mental health being neglected is that there is the belief that we can see physical health problems and not for mental health problems. We see the injuries on our body and others can see it too and we feel the physical pain or soreness on a specific part of our body but it might be harder to pinpoint the mental pain or the anxious feelings. It could be in our hearts, minds, guts, somewhere else, a combination of that or not at all. Another reason for mental health being neglected could be due to stigmatization. Um, There are cultural, individual and generational differences on this, but I think one of the main aspects of stigmatization is shame. People don't want to be seen as weak abnormal, a burden, and those are just a few of the many stigmas that talking about your mental health and seeking help might pose. Um, It's not true at all, but those stigmas are learned, internalized, and passed on, and that results in mental health being neglected. Mental health services have traditionally been limited to psychiatric offices and hospitals, even with technology that enables mental health access to more people. Why does mental health continue to be seen as out of reach until it is an emergency? I have not had the experience of using mental health services, but I know that these services such as therapies can be expensive unless you receive treatment in a hospital and have insurance covered, or you have third-party insurance such as a student health plan. Even with partial coverage, it can still be a lot for some. So then for everyone else, when mental health services aren't considered, and I quote, medically necessary, as insurance doesn't cover it, using these services come at their own expenses, even though mental health care is just as fundamental as physical health care. So the lack of accessibility can discourage people to seek out services or limit their options. And it also associates with um, stigma. Not having accessible mental health services makes mental health care something unfamiliar. 
The problem of accessibility not only affects clients in need of mental health services, but also healthcare providers. If there's not enough funding, many mental health services will be forced to charge so much. Another problem with mental health services being seen as out of reach, unless it's an emergency, is in terms of the accumulation of struggles and thoughts, emotions and behavior over time. We all experience some kind of mental health problems at some point. And when we talk about mental health and well-being, it doesn't have to be just about illnesses and major conditions. It can come from the smallest daily thing like negative feelings and thoughts that we commonly experience throughout the week, like feeling down, stressed, anxious. That's all a part of mental health. Most people overcome those and move on. They wouldn't necessarily think about getting counseling or therapy, or they wouldn't necessarily need it. It's the conditions when they become increasingly serious over time that interfere with their lives and functions that require treatment. So aspects such as detection and prevention of mental illnesses and promotion of mental well-being are as important as treating mental illnesses. So please, everyone, take care of yourselves. Reach out if you need it, because there are many ways and sources of support. Don't let it become an emergency, because your health matters. Post-secondary institutions pride themselves in the ways they support their students. Unfortunately, many students are unable to access this support and a proportion slip through safety measures. What are some of the factors that continue to limit the response from universities and colleges? I think one of the reasons that affect the capacity for effective mental health responses from post-secondary institutions is the lack of efficient programs and initiatives to support students through mental health crisis and promote their well-being. There might not be sufficient resources and training opportunities for action steps that would ensure students' well-being, such as identifying students at risks, um, encouraging help-seeking and providing support, uh, as well as promoting well-being activities. These training opportunities should be applied to all individuals studying and working in school, including educators, regular or residential staff, faculty or academic advisors, TAs, and also fellow students. There are frameworks that have been offered where policies and programs um, focus on enhancing well-being elements based on the PERMA model, uh, so that consists of positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishments. This is at a variety of contexts, such as in-class, uh, social contexts, community level, administration, and residential. If such a framework is implemented, students would be more likely to gain positive emotions, um, apply their strengths in and outside of classroom, have greater academic achievements, and they're able to have a positive institution experience. Um, but the reality is that these policies and programs have not been uh, extensively implemented to ensure students' well-being. The connection between mental health and culture has become more relevant over time. 
How much of an influence is culture on our mental health? Culture shapes how we detect, perceive, and respond to mental health and mental health problems. Um, Bilingual Mental Health is a project I created to address the concepts of mental health and well-being, both in Vietnamese and English. And I also want to further address how distinct values in Vietnamese culture might lead to different understanding of these concepts compared to that in Western cultures. For example, I previously talked a little bit about stigmatization and the idea of shame regarding mental health. This is quite universal, but there are there are specific values and things that influence how that shame is presented in different cultures. So shame in Western individualistic cultures is quite different compared to shame in Eastern and collectivistic cultures in mental health. In collectivistic cultures, a really common value is that your actions don't just affect yourself, but also your whole family and your family's name. You have the responsibility to save face or not lose face, to protect your family's name and not shaming it. This is an interrelated way of life and living um, where everyone is connected compared to the independence in individualistic cultures. So regarding mental health in collectivistic cultures, uh, I think it's still a little bit limited compared to that in individualistic cultures where people might be more open to talk about it, to find resources and support for mental health problems. Even though there are increasing efforts to create conversations on this matter, some still believe that mental health problems don't exist, for example. That's the cultural values and beliefs some were raised with. They internalized it and they pass it on to the next generation or they find themselves in conflicts created between their generation and the next. With that being said, cultural beliefs and values may be internalized, but with support and guidance, one can always learn to be kinder to others and kinder to themselves. Since mental health supports are limited to specific areas and places, cultural approaches have become a second thought. How can cultural approaches be more actively included in standard practices? I think that cultural inclusivity in standard mental health practices is really important. For example, I work at a mental health association um, dedicated for East Asian and Southeast Asian clients. So we have Korean clients, um, Chinese, both Cantonese and Mandarin, Vietnamese and Cambodian clients. So besides those offered in English, each language group has uh, specific programs and activities offered in their language. And to actively achieve cultural inclusivity, specifically for mental health workers who might be working with a person from a culture different from their own, it's important to be open-minded, to recognize and respect certain cultural values and beliefs that might influence a, per- a person's behavior or expectations, and then to build appropriate services around that. These skills should be offered in workshops and trainings for mental health workers, and it might take time, research, and firsthand experience to offer support for a person of another culture. But it is important, especially when it's an individual-based approach of support.
cultural approaches such as the indigenous approaches to mental health have historically been discriminated against by the systems in place. How can integrating culture into mental health improve access to marginalized groups? I mentioned this previously in terms of being respectful and recognizing certain cultural perspectives that influence a person's belief system in dealing with mental health. And this, of course, should be taken into even more consideration for marginalized groups, such as the indigenous communities. In terms of making efforts to incorporate indigenous perceptions and practices in mental health care, uh, and to provide resources and promote opportunities of mental health care that is culturally uh, appropriate for them. People from different cultures might use their unique cultural perspectives in how they deal with mental health and in their journey of recovery. Uh, for example, to my knowledge, I know that there is a focus on community, spirituality, and nature within indigenous communities. So mental health services should implement the, these values into their approach. Um, also, findings from research show that incorporating indigenous cultural values in mental health care is beneficial in satisfying indigenous clients' needs and in developing new programs and modifying current programs that have not taken indigenous values into account. There are ways to be in service for mental health needs and there are better ways to be in service for mental health needs in terms of ensuring cultural appropriation. In recent years, various levels of government have dedicated more funding for mental health services. However, mental health services continue to be overlooked and professionals overworked. While the commitment to funding is welcome, how long do you think it will take for services to see benefits? Earlier, I talked briefly about how mental health services have not been completely considered to be medically necessary. And I think that as long as that notion exists, things like effective research for treatment, implementation of accessible recovery programs, um, destigmatization of mental health, and most of all, the well-being of people will continue to be compromised. Mental health institutions and charities have also grown over the past few years, many ranking in large amounts of donations and providing some funding to other programs. What are your thoughts on corporations venturing into mental health philanthropy? I think it is beneficial and needed for corporate philanthropy to take part in supporting mental health institutions and charities. Many mental illnesses, if undetected, unsupported, um, discriminated against, um, they're linked to other social issues in all ages, such as youth delinquency, homelessness, unemployment, addiction, and so on. These causes are in the interest of funders, whether institutional or individual. So with donations and funding, there are different ways for people to receive support that could be through direct healthcare programs and interventions. Um, it could be promotion of mental health through policies and campaigns and education in many settings, uh, as well as research about mental illnesses, medications, and the effectiveness of treatments. 
We have discussed the state of the current mental health system in this episode. With governments slowly investing more into new formats of mental health services, such as digital and telephone crisis lines, how will this emphasis on digital services impact the current mental health system? Having technology and digital services really benefit clients in need, especially those who may live further away in remote areas or those who have mobile difficulties, either because of transportation, other reasons or seasonal problems, and especially now during the pandemic. We are keeping ourselves and each other safe and people are still able to access certain services like counseling, support groups, and different activities. Digital services are flexible in terms of satisfying certain needs and conditions and allowing accessibility with ease with no extra fees. Mental health clinics would have to accommodate this need if they haven't already and even develop more extensive programs and policies to better fit this digital approach. With that being said, I think that for people who are able to come to in-person services, many would still prefer face-to-face if not for the pandemic. They would prefer the in-person interaction, uh, especially if they're already used to that approach. So transitioning to A whole virtual approach may pose some difficulties where people who aren't used to technology would need lots of support um, so that they don't feel uncomfortable using virtual services. And another thing to consider is the level of security and confidentiality when using uh, digital approach. So again, this is something that mental health clinics would have to take into account um, to ensure safety for their clients. With digital mental health services growing rapidly, especially during a pandemic, where do you see digital mental health services going in the future? As I've mentioned before, I think there is flexibility and accessibility in using digital mental health services. I see already many virtual programs being implemented during this pandemic to continue accommodating clients' needs and supporting them in dealing with really unique situation um, where people might struggle to cope with isolation, uh, worries about the future, uh, about their own health, as well as their families, um, about financial situations. Um, In the future, I think that in-person services will return as it is because there is a need for it. And I do also see digital mental health services being used on a more regular basis than before the pandemic, now that many practices and programs have been developed, even if it's not as preferred as in-person services. Um, I think it's about having the choice to use the platform you prefer for the service to be most effective. Thank you again for joining us on this episode. Please let our viewers know where they can find more information about your work and anything you may have coming up. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's such a great opportunity for us to talk about these important topics. For our viewers, you can reach me at my Instagram page, bilingual.mentalhealth, where you can find ongoing contents about mental health and well-being in both Vietnamese and English, as well as updates on future projects. 
Thank you again for listening.